Welcome to Uprooted, the podcast from the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. I'm Josh Wise. Today we're talking about the uh, Trump budget and infrastructure plans, their impact on agriculture and rural areas. I'm joined by uh, Ben Lilliston here on IATP staff to talk about it. Uh, so Ben, you wrote two blogs um, in the last week, one on the budget uh, and the other one on infrastructure. Let's talk with the, about the budget. Let's start on the on the ag side. Uh, what's the effect uh, of the proposed budget on USDA and maybe on farm policy um, broadly? Yeah, it's pretty dramatic. I mean, I think that's the first thing you notice. Um, last year when the Trump administration put out their budget, it felt like they were just kind of scrambling to get things together. It was really rough. There was very little, you know, there wasn't as much details, but there wasn't, it wasn't just as substantial. And USDA Secretary Sonny Perdue hadn't really come on the job. So there was a sense that maybe he wasn't that involved in the budget. Um, and this year, a year later, uh, it's clear, it contains a lot of the same stuff, but it's really clear that Secretary Perdue had a heavy hand in putting it together. And it's odd because he slashes 25% of his agency uh, in as part of this budget. So that's one thing that stands out. Uh, but then you're looking at um, an estimated $47 billion cut in farm-focused programs over the next 10 years. That's a big deal. So these are programs that get directly out to farmers, whether it's commodity programs. Um, but it's particularly harsh on conservation programs, which we are really interested in, uh, in particular the conservation stewardship program. This is the most popular conservation program in the country for farmers. Um, it helps them on things like soil health and water quality. It's really critical to building resilience around climate change, uh, and they want to eliminate it straight up eliminate the conservation uh, security program. Um, and then you, you look at NRCS, which is the Natural Resource Conservation Service, uh, part of USDA, which is really active in administering conservation programs, really important in pushing for soil health practices. They want to cut that by $229 million. Uh, and then you look at agriculture research, um, really essential for farmers um, all over the country, uh, and we talk a lot about climate change, you know, changes in weather, building resilience, what types of crops, what types of systems need to work, and really taking a heavy hand to agriculture research. So those are the kind of agriculture-related parts uh, of the budget that really stand out. Is there any sort of rhetoric coming from the administration or from Purdue or from USDA about uh, why <laughs> they want to cut so much. I mean, you know, they, they did the reorganization last year and they, you know, made trade a big deal and, you know, we're going to try to export more and that's going to boost farm incomes. Like, are they, are they saying, oh, we're cutting red tape and this is going to help boost your profits? Or do they, are they just saying we're cutting this because we can? You know, a large part of it is we're cutting it because we can. There, there really isn't much of a rationale. Now, if you take a, a few steps back and go back a few months to the f giant tax cut that was passed by and pushed by the Trump administration and passed by Congress, um, you know, that's a very deep dig into the nation's overall budget. And uh, it sort of requires some severe cuts in order to deal with it. And this is sort of maybe the unspoken backdrop around 
pushing for cuts across the I mean it's this isn't just at the USDA it's right. it's every department with the exception of the military really taking some major cuts um, and that's the backdrop is you know a severe uh, very significant tax cut for corporations financial interests and the wealthy um, primarily if you look at the bulk of the uh, of where those tax cuts are going and now that sort of needs to be paid with with cuts to programs that we think really serve farmers and rural communities pretty well. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I didn't maybe pay enough attention to it. Was there anything in the tax plan that, like, at least superficially would have been good for farmers? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, there. well, I mean, there is the, there There was a uh, long discussion, long-standing discussion around the inheritance tax and the related to farmers be able to pass on their farm to the next generation and uh, the tax plan did get rid of uh, some of those restrictions um, but that affects just such a small number of farmers out there uh, it, it's it's almost insignificant and, and I think to and most pretty people, large operations too exactly right? very large operations and, and very few on the rural side, um, well, a couple of things. One is that you know I know a big chunk of the uh, the budget cuts um, were targeted at SNAP, and of course they have the harvest boxes, right? And something that we don't often talk about is that rural areas are using uh, the supplemental nutrition assistance program at higher rates than you know urban and uh, semi-urban areas. Um, so that's that's one thing. But then. Um, rural development and in general is is part of i mean a big part of it is under usda um but then also that saw significant cuts too mm -hmm. yeah i mean the snap cuts got a lot of attention not just because they were fairly significant and it's part of their overall plan to ramp up work requirements around getting snap benefits this is sort of a solution without a problem or, uh, you know, I mean, this is most people on SNAP are uh, either working, they may already be working, they're just not getting paid enough on their job uh, or they're or they're disabled or elderly or children. Um, and, and the SNAP program has probably been more scrutinized than any other uh, government program in recent years. And it actually works really well. And it's really important for rural communities um, not only the people living there, but it's also important for economic development. You know, uh, uh, dollars are being spent there through SNAP that uh, at local grocery stores um, and even the larger grocery stores. But it's it's in it. There's a lot of research on the economic value of the SNAP program for rural communities. Um, and I think when you look at the budget on the rural side, you know, they want to eliminate the rural economic development loan program. This is you know supporting small businesses, entrepreneurs, and rural communities, um, that's a pretty tough one for rural. Um, cuts to the rural business and cooperative service, you know, so starting rural, uh, whether it's businessmen, farmers, farmers uh, electric utilities, dealing with co-ops and uh, is a really important economic alternative in rural areas. Um, so they're cutting those type of programs, programs that support local food uh, business development. So one of the few areas we're seeing in the ag economy that's actually uh, kind of growing and bringing a fair return to farmers. They want to cut that kind of infrastructure development. Um, and then water and wastewater 
programs. I mean, this is a real severe need in rural areas, um, whether it's water quality or managing floods and uh, new kind of water situations related to climate change, more cuts there. Um, so this is a big hit if, if this proposed budget were actually to, to come into play. Yeah, and you contrast that against the administration's infrastructure plan, um, where they say, "Oh, we want to, you know, we want to make a uh, build a stronger America." This is part of the "Make America Great Again" rhetoric. We're going to invest in infrastructure. We're going to build roads and bridges. Build all, you know. Um, this was the rhetoric on the campaign trail, and then of course he comes out with the infrastructure plan, which is about a fifth of what he originally promised, two hundred billion instead of a trillion dollars, and then they're expecting states and local governments to pony up the rest of the dough. And a big chunk of it uh, involves public-private partnerships, which is, you know, essentially selling off public assets to private companies. You know, how, how does that contrast against budget cuts? And um, wh- what are they actually trying to do with the infrastructure bill? If you're a cynic, you would have to look at that plan and say this is a... a a classic bait and switch you know it's a it's a huge con you know to say that you are putting uh creating a, a trillion dollar infrastructure plan which he promised during the campaign and now claims to be 1.5 trillion but to only put forward 200 billion dollars of that over 10 years so 20 billion a, a year is really small when you look at the infrastructure needs out there and then to say State and local governments, you got to pay for it. And then, of course, as you pointed out, private investors have to pay for it. Um, but the really kind of disturbing thing, that alone is disturbing and troubling because we really do need infrastructure investments. And particularly in rural areas, they often get left behind on a lot of this stuff, um, whether it's rural roads, like I talked about, water, housing, we're losing rural hospitals. I mean, these are these are big issues. And rural America could really benefit from a really thoughtful um, and serious infrastructure investment. That's not what this is. But when you look at the cuts, as I mentioned before, to rural development programs, and then you look at the cuts uh, at the Department of Transportation, as well as the cuts to the Housing and Urban Development um, Department within, um, within the Trump administration, the University of Pennsylvania looked at this and said it actually could be an, a deficit. In other words, less money available for infrastructure when you look at the entire budget. So you have this infra- infrastructure initiative being pushed, boasting an increase in infrastructure. But if you look at the overall budget and where cuts are being uh, happening, including cuts in infrastructure, it may be a net loss. So this is really um, not a serious proposal, but it also feels like you know, they're just not being straight with people about what they're really trying to do. It seems like a lot of the incentives that they're proposing are targeting industries uh, that are of the past, right? So we were talking about this last week on the podcast about how it doesn't matter how much the Trump administration wants to promote coal. Coal's going to die. And they know that in the region. And that's why they're preparing an economic transition. But the infrastructure plan seems like it's kind of doing something similar where they're they're uh, targeting industries that are, you know, not industries of the future, so to speak. And then when you contrast that, uh, well, when you include um, climate change into that, the quote you have in the blog, I think, is really great, right? You end up building the wrong thing in the wrong place to the wrong standards, 
even if they ponied up the money, the incentives are all wrong here too, right? That's exactly right. I mean, they, they, if you're putting together an infrastructure plan and you're not considering climate change, you're going to waste a lot of money. And um, you got to be thinking about what kind of roads are going to be useful 10, 20, 30 years around, down the road, um, whether it's housing, whether it's dealing with water. You know, climate change has to be central to your infrastructure planning, and a lot of states are already doing that in, in the form of climate adaptation plans. Cities and localities are doing that. Trump administration is just pretending like climate change doesn't exist and really, like you said, following down a path of, you know, way outdated, several decades old. Um, yeah, the push to privatization is, uh, you know, really based in their formula. Um, they will give preference to outside funding, funding, non-federal funding. And the real concern there, and this has been a concern that rural communities have raised from the beginning, is that private investors generally don't want to invest in rural. And the reason is that they need to get a return on that investment. They need to have a certain number of people passing through that, whether it's a toll on a road or whether it's increased fees for a water infrastructure project. So they need a population density in order to make that money back. They also um, prioritize higher income uh, communities where they can charge more and get more of a return for their investment. So when you look at the way that they've structured uh, the infrastructure plan, high income, uh, urban, suburban communities are going to get priority for projects over lower income communities and urban communities, but also um, rural just broadly. Um, so it's a poor, <laughs> it not only is there not very much money and sort of a bait and switch on that, but also the just formulation of, of the plan itself um, is not going to ensure that we actually deal with projects that are in the public good, um, where we're looking at it and saying, there's a real need here. We need to fix these roads. We need to deal with this community who's been flooded uh, multiple times over the last decade and deal with their water infrastructure. It's more going to be geared towards where can private investors um, put together a project that makes them money. What would a what would an infrastructure package look like, uh, or just a couple of things that would be good for? Um, well, let's let's break it out into what would be good for farmers, and then what would be good for rural more generally in terms of infrastructure. Well, I think you know our general feeling on a lot of policy questions like this is um, bottom-up solutions are a way to start. <laughs> so I would start, you know, with talking with rural, really listening to rural communities, rural legislators in small towns at the county level um, and at the state level about what they're seeing and what their priorities are. You know, these have to be public investments, like I mentioned, not private investments. They're going to have to be public, and we're going to have to um, a lot of the infrastructure invest investments for rural need to focus around water management, as we talked about. Um, rural housing is of less quality than urban and suburban. There needs to be some investments in rural housing. Um, and when you say that we're, um, you know, we've talked about like energy efficiency, and exactly. this is all this corresponds to adapt adaptation to climate change, right? Ab yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the climate has to be a big part of the thinking in, in infrastructure projects. Um, you know, you look at the closing of rural hospitals around the country. Um, we can say that that's not a 
you know, that's really important for people who live out there, and it's linked to declining health um, in general. And then, you know, infrastructure for farmers who are trying to access new markets is really important. You know, what's happened over the last several decades, uh, you know, 50 years really, is this move toward consolidation, bigger operations, and really fitting into a infrastructure of global agribusiness corporations. Now you're seeing more and more interest of farmers trying to ta- access different types of markets, whether it's a local market, uh, organic market, um, you know, animal welfare-oriented market, um, markets that are differentiated where consumers are willing to pay a little bit more money for what's being produced. And one of the real bottlenecks there is infrastructure. There's not enough uh, meat processing for those types of operations. There's not enough, you know, grain elevators and transportation systems to move whatever you're growing efficiently to get it to consumers. So that's another uh, key area, I think, for infrastructure. Yeah, and it's, it, you know, I mean, when the Trump administration talks about public-private partnerships, this is an area where you might actually see a public-private partnership that would work, right? Whether it's, you know, government-backed loans to small producers or to small you know, industries to actually rebuild that infrastructure, um, I think it kind of gets to the same thing where if you're a private investor, if you're, you know, a big bank, you're not going to invest, you're less likely to invest in a, in a local processing plant that's not going to give you that return that, you know, like a major uh, uh, a processor that's geared towards export, right? Like that's going to process however many thousand hogs a day to send them all to China, for example, yeah. right? That's very true. I mean, the, the financial institutions... Are, uh, do struggle with infrastructure around local food systems and development because they're not used to it. They're not comfortable with it. And um, it really is important for, um, you know, public investment to help spur that type of investment from banks, help them feel more comfortable in it. So Trump has submitted this budget. He submitted the infrastructure plan. Uh, the common thing, you know, the phrase that people say is the president's budget is always dead on arrival. Is there any sort of political will to do better than this right now? And what could we maybe be doing to build some of that political will? <laughs> well, I think um, particularly on infrastructure, there is sort of a consensus. It's not really necessarily partisan that we have to invest in infrastructure as a country. Um, we've just gone too long uh, to not do that. And if you go back to the Obama administration, you know, he was pushing for major investments in infrastructure, including setting up a, a national infrastructure bank to help finance projects. Um, there's a lot of creative thinking around uh, uh, across the political spectrum about how we can start to invest more in infrastructure. That The good thing about infrastructure is it is local jobs. It's not jobs that are going to be generally exported right people and and there will be direct economic benefits from within that community and there'll be direct quality of life benefits that people will receive i think that uh the the, you know democrats have put forward uh, an infrastructure plan in contrast to the trump administration it's not well flushed out but it is really focused on public money and investment and and covering a lot of the issues that we talked about um so the good news is there's a conversation and debate about infrastructure and how we how we need to move forward on that and I think for uh, the way to move forward is really to focus on states right now and their opportunity to be leaders in infrastructure investment and and states that are incorporating climate change in that infrastructure investment to continue to work 
and pressure Congress to do meaningful infrastructure investment and not this sort of bait and switch kind of moving money around kind of approach that the Trump administration has pushed. And I think this is an issue that you're going to see continue to elevate in sort of public awareness um, as things break down <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and as we know we have to fix things and as well as an economic engine um, for, you know, the next administration, whoever that may be. Well, Ben, thanks a lot for joining me on the podcast. <laughs> thanks very much. Uh, you've been listening to Uprooted, the podcast from the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. For more information on what you've heard today, including to read Ben's blogs on the Trump budget and infrastructure proposals, you can visit our website at www.iatp.org. I want to thank Andrew Arisso for editing today's podcast and remind you that you can download the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Thanks a lot for listening. Thank you.